Have you ever thought about selling your studio or perhaps buying your first or your second or your third? We all know that starting a business from scratch and buying an existing studio business both come with their own unique set of challenges. And when it comes to buying, I'm often asked about the process, how to repair and where to start. So I invited a fellow consultant an ex-yoga studio owner and a current business broker who focuses only on um, boutique fitness and wellness studio sales and buying, buying, buyers, <laughs> Mitch McGinley, who onto the show to share a little bit more about um, the process with us as you know, he has worked with a lot of folks in the industry. Well, hi there. I'm Sarah Glanfield. I'm a business and marketing strategist just for boutique fitness studio owners like you. If you're ready to be inspired and make a bigger impact, you're in the right place. All you need are a few key strategies, the right mindset, and some support along the way. Join me as I share the real-life insights that will help you grow a sustainable and profitable studio. This is the Pilates Business Podcast. So welcome, Mitch. I'm glad you're Thank here. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. This is a real treat for me. Yeah, I'm excited for us to be able to talk a little bit about this topic and to share with our um, listeners all about this is sort of like one of those areas where it's kind of very vague and there's not a lot of information. And I feel like every single um, experience everyone has in this area is kind of unique, but we're going to get into all of that before we do. I would love if you could tell us a little bit about your background and how you kind of found your way through all of and navigated through all these um, different kind of paths you've taken to get to doing what you're doing today. I would be delighted. It's certainly a, a weird and windy road that I never would have predicted ever in a million years. Um, but my my background was in hotel management. I worked for Omni Hotels for several years and and worked my way up that corporate ladder. Um, and then I left that to go and work with somebody who was buying hotels, fixing them up and selling them. And so that was my first introduction to business transactions. And he taught me a lot about commercial real estate and entrepreneurship. And right about that time, I just finished my MBA at night and my wife and I had always had this dream of, of owning a yoga studio. And all of these things came together at the perfect time when we got a phone call out of the blue from our favorite yoga studio owner. And she said, I would love to sell and I would love to sell to you. Uh, my wife had been teaching there for several years. She's a phenomenal yoga teacher, among many other things. Um, but she really wanted to do it. And I really wanted to do it, too. And, and I was really tired of running hotels. It was exhausting. You know, they the doors don't yeah, close the business. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, literally had my cell phone number like taped to the front desk of these hotels. Um, and we wanted to start a family. And so it just, it felt like the right time. And so um, we borrowed the money that we needed to make it happen. And we bought our favorite yoga studio. And that was back the end of 2012. Amazing experience. We loved it. We love our community. We still live in the same community. Um, we owned it for six years and somewhere along the way, I think around year three, I got kind of bored and I felt like I needed a new challenge. 
And so I wanted to do something kind of on my own. And that's when I was introduced to Laura Monkholm, who was a wonderful mutual friend of ours. Um, and it's funny because she introduced you to me as royalty in this <laughs> business and industry. And um, so it, it means a lot to be here talking to you about this. Oh, um, Laura's great. Laura, if you have, if you, Laura actually came on the show, um, I think middle of last year when um, Walla launched and she is the president of Walla, which is a brand new, incredible software um, for scheduling and booking and all the other amazing automations that are inside. And she's a fantastic mutual friend. Yes. So I'm glad you're here. And I love, I love how all these worlds come together and cross over and you meet great people through great people. It's it really the- is. And, and it's, this industry is full of wonderful people and, um, and that's why I love working in this industry. It was so, so Laura was the one that, that, um, encouraged me to become a consultant. And, um, I went through the, the mind body program where they give you their stamp of approval. And, you know, that opened up, you know, 60,000 clients to me to, to do consulting all over the world. And so I was working with studios, you know, as far as Australia and New Zealand, um, helping with things like pricing strategy and, and sales funnels. And, you know, when it, when it came time to sell our studio and I was, I knew I was ready and I, I had a buyer already, I, I planned this out perfectly. Um, once we actually sold, I just merged all of my worlds, got licensed as a business broker and became the guy who helps people sell their studios. And so that's what I've been doing for the last three years. Um, Obviously, it's been a really difficult couple of years for this industry and everyone in it, and we've all suffered through it together. Um, but for all of the fortitude that the owners in this industry have, everyone that survived, everyone that pivoted and you know changed their business plan, added virtual within days, made it through all the staffing issues, like all of those crazy things. I think everyone will come out stronger on the other side. And so I'm, I'm really optimistic about the year ahead and, you know, educating more people how they can plan ahead for successful exits so that it, it's not because something dramatic happens and all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I've got to sell. Right. And, you know, I think I agree a hundred percent that um, I think there's a lot of opportunity and we're seeing some great growth at the moment. And, you know, I, I do expect that to continue for sure. And, and, you know, I think when it comes to, you mentioned something just then that kind of made me think of a time that, um, you know, when people see studios close and, and, and ignoring the pandemic um, or see studios getting sold, there is often an assumption that there's a problem, I think. Um, and that's not always the case. I often think that when people come to the point where they decide they want to sell a studio, it's because they're looking for and something that is a new phase, you know, the next phase of life, perhaps different opportunities. Um, and people buy and sell businesses for all sorts of different reasons. I would imagine you see that. Absolutely. Yeah. All kinds. Yeah. And yeah. it's, and the one thing that I want everyone to know is, is that your business is worth something. You're absolutely right. I mean, most people they'll close because their lease is coming to an end or their, their franchise agreement is coming to an end. And, um, it's easier to just say, okay, well, this was awesome. And, and I guess it's time to go. Um, but that's, you don't have to do that. And for an industry where 
where most of the owners work incredibly hard for usually not enough money, um, this is a real opportunity to to have it, you know, to sell and have it be your biggest payday. Yeah. And then not not work for yeah. a little while, like take a break and <laughs> treat yourself break. to a vacation. Yeah, exactly. So um, usually when people I talk to people who are in who are looking to um, buy or sell a studio, it's, they're usually um, in that sort of phase where they've been they're thinking about it and they want to explore like what it looks like to go through the process of selling. Often it's often studio owners who already have a business and they are kind of thinking about their exit strategy. What are they they're thinking about what they want to do next? They're thinking of, that they've been doing this a while and perhaps looking at some, doing something different or taking a step back. And like you said, taking some time out. And so usually there's sort of a bit of a, you know, uh, people are curious about the process. Um, and so I'd imagine um, for that, that, that there, there is, if, if someone is in that position now and listening to this, there are probably some things they could do to perhaps prepare f- their business for a future sale, even if they're not a hundred percent sure when it's going to happen or a hundred percent sure if it's going to happen. Um, but you, there are things you can do, I'd imagine to sort of get set up, um, to give you the best possible outcome if you were to go ahead with the sale. Absolutely. And it's stuff that that actually needs to happen way in advance, like multiple years in advance. And so part of, you know, why I'm always so excited to connect with new people and share what I know is so that I can educate studio owners years before they're ready to sell um, so that they can maximize their, their payday at the end of all of that. Um, generally, I found it's, it's, it goes better to talk about the process first and then jump back and talk about what you can do now because it'll make sense understanding how the, the process plays out. Absolutely. Take us through it, Mitch. That's, I want okay, so to hear all, all the, the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So the process generally takes on average about six to eight months for me. Um, it's a very emotional process. It's a roller coaster of highs and lows. There are wonderful moments and there are incredibly difficult moments. And so, you know, a big part of what I do and and probably the thing that I always have the trouble, the most trouble explaining is my biggest role is to be there for you, to pick up the phone, to listen to your feelings, to understand how you're feeling, and then absorb all of that and communicate what needs to be communicated to the other side. And so my role as a broker is always in the middle. It's I usually work for both sides equally. I start by signing a, a listing agreement with the seller that says, you know, you're going to give me a six month chance to, to sell your business. It's very much like selling a home. Um, and we put the ad up on six or seven different websites. BizBuySell.com is the main one. They do about 70% of the traffic in this industry. And people reach out. Anybody who's looking to buy a Pilates studio would, would search on BizBuySell for a Pilates studio in whatever region of the country or world they live in. And you know, there's my picture and my contact info on the side. And so if they're interested, they'll just fill in and little thing there and I'll get an email that says, Hey, I'm interested. Um, and then the first thing I'll do is have them sign an NDA, make sure that we're protecting all of the information of the business and and the seller. Once they've signed the NDA, 
I try to learn a little bit more about them, understand their experience, their financial situation, make sure they're actually qualified to, to have this conversation. And then if they are, I'm there to answer all of the first level of questions, things about the lease, about the employees, the structure of the company, uh, all of the revenue, the financials, all of those things. And we put all of that together into like a 10 or 15 page marketing package that we'll send to them um, so that they can review it on their own. If someone's interested, I'll help them draft a letter of intent, go through several of the things that they might not be thinking about, like terms of a non-compete agreement, um, contingencies in the deal, which are usually you know, due diligence. The landlord has to approve a lease assignment or a new lease. That can be really tricky. And then oftentimes we'll also have the franchise and, and a franchise assignment. So the last one that I will talk about a little bit more is lending. And if, if lending is involved, that's a whole nother can of worms um, that, that I help manage. So all of those things happen once an offer is accepted. Um, so if someone accepts the letter of intent and says, okay, this sounds good to me, the next step is to draft the asset purchase agreement, which is actually the binding contract. Once that's signed, we open escrow, earnest money deposit goes into escrow, and we start working on all those contingencies. Once all of those contingencies are done, due diligence complete, landlord approves, franchise approves, if lender, they send the money, then we can close the deal. And that process, just the escrow process, usually takes about two to three months. So... That's the whole process. That's the whole process. Yeah, not that quick sort of, you know, two-week deal you thought. <laughs> it's not easy to do. No. It's really not. Yeah. And so, you know, presumably during that whole sort of six to eight-month process that, that all is happening, there are back and forth negotiations over the contingencies and um, agreements are based off of, you know, and how the landlord approvals and then you know that obviously that you mentioned financing and lending you know that is its own sort of world right um that i'm sure also adds to that time frame or is perhaps adds some level or an extra level of complication perhaps or just paperwork <laughs> to, <laughs> to, the whole to thing. put it mildly yes. to put it mildly so let's talk about lending for a minute yes that's do. Always... i want to hear how 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 that all works and what you see most Often. So there's really only one loan that exists in the United States for business acquisitions, and that is through the SBA. And if you have ever tried to apply for a loan through the SBA, you know that it's a government-backed, government-insured loan. And so for that reason, it has to appease the government. And so there's a million checkboxes that have to get checked and everything has to squit to fit squarely in all of those checkboxes, um, there's not a lot of flexibility. And so the key thing that I always want people to know is that both the buyer and the business have to qualify. And the way that the business qualifies is by showing enough profit on their tax return to support the debt payment. So if you are not showing profit on your tax returns, your business will not qualify for an SBA loan and you will be limited to cash buyers. 
And that makes everything way more difficult because most of the people who want to be owners in this industry don't have a ton of money sitting around. A lot of times it's a teacher who's passionate about the practice or a manager or a client. And those people don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars sitting around to buy themselves a job. But with an SBA loan, the buyer can buy it with 10% down. The term is 10 years and the interest rate is currently around 6%. It's usually prime plus two, two and a quarter, something like that. So to open up your your buyer pool to someone who only has to put 10% down, you can imagine you're trying to sell a studio for $200,000. They only have to come up with 20 and that's a lot more feasible. And so it empowers the seller to get a much better price. There's more interest. Hopefully you get competing bids um, and you can really pick the best buyer and the best price. So getting that SBA pre-approval is key. And so it's got to be three years. So you have to show the profit on your tax return. They're going to look at the last three years. And coming out of COVID, this is going to be really difficult for people. But I have some encouraging news. If your numbers are coming back, the banks that I'm working with have shown a willingness to dismiss what happened during COVID. And so all you have to do is get your numbers back to where they were and you'll be okay. So you don't have to go, they, they, they're not looking back prior to COVID as long as you are back to, you know, you, your numbers are in a good solid place for the last sort of year or so. They will kind of ignore what happened in 2020 and half of 2021 maybe. Right. And so they might look at 2019 because if it mm-hmm. were happening right now, they would look at 2019, 2020, right. and 2021 tax returns. Right. And so you know, for a lot of people, 2021 was, was actually worse than 2020. Um, and I I've seen that a lot. And so, you know, whatever it is, it doesn't matter when or how bad it was. If you get it back, the banks will be willing to dismiss what happened in between. So good news there. Good news. That is good news. Good news. If you, so I have got some, so going back to then, you know, it sounds like there's some things that you can do now if you're planning to, um, to, if you would like to sell or have the opportunity or the option, you know, I think it's always about optionality, you know, having, holding the option, right. We always like to have options. And one option is to continue to, you know, own your studio. And another option is to have the option to sell it. Right. And so it's smart and sensible to perhaps think about what that would look like and make sure that you're set up in a way to make that something that is as easy as possible. So you've already mentioned we want to make sure that you are you are showing the true profit on on your tax return um, and that that you are documenting those data points. What what else could studio owners be doing to help make the process be as smooth and seamless as possible? There's two other things that I always recommend. The first one is start to identify potential buyers years in advance. Have informal, friendly conversations with people where you very nonchalantly say, hey, I want you to know that I'm starting to think about what my next chapter is going to look like. And I'm going to, I'm working with a broker and I'm, I've got my goals set. I'm going to wait until I hit, you know, this number in profit or until this year, because then 
my child is graduating or, or whatever it is, whatever your goal is, say it out loud and, and tell them what your goal is and say, if you're interested, please let me know. I think you would be an incredible person to take this studio into its next chapter. People always receive that with such gratitude. It's such a wonderful and lovely compliment. And whether they want to or not, they will appreciate you saying that. But what it does is allows them to take that little seed that you planted, digest it, and it grows over time. And timing is everything. And so maybe for that person a year later, they're looking at leaving their corporate job and they want to own their own small business for the first time. And maybe they come back to you and say, hey, I know you're waiting until X, Y, Z, but would you consider it now? And that is a wonderful position to be in. You have so much more leverage as a seller when a buyer is coming to you and you're not currently trying to sell. And so, you know, you can stand firm on your price or you can say, no, I'll wait, I'm good. Um, It's very empowering. And so that is a huge thing that you can do. Look at your clients differently. Look at your teachers differently. You know, if you have a studio manager, are you grooming them to be the person to take over? They make the best candidates. They know your community. They love your community. They know you and they trust you. And that's very difficult to do or to find with a random buyer from the public. You don't have that trust. You don't have the love and appreciation of the community. And those things are really valuable in a transaction like this. The second thing that I always recommend is to begin to extricate yourself from the day-to-day in the business. So many owners in this industry wear all of the hats. They own, they manage, they teach or train, they do all the hiring and firing, they clean the bathrooms, they do everything. And, And it's a labor of love. But if you are trying to sell your business and you do all of those things, you're going to have to find someone who can do all of the things that you do, that wants to do all of those things, that's willing to give you a bunch of money so that they can have your job. And that's a tough sell. And so if you can begin to extricate yourself from the day to day, have good systems in place, policies and procedures, roles, everything's very clear. It's way easier for you to step out and for someone else to step in. A hundred percent. I could not agree more. And I think that is, this is something that is actually one of the, I think the easiest um, to implement for a studio owner who's thinking longer term about selling, because, you know, you, you, you want to make sure that your, um, your business is running operationally as seamlessly and smoothly as possible. Um, and you want to show that because that would imagine at some point that kind of comes up in conversations. Um, and if you can show that you have, like you mentioned, SOPs and documentation and processes, and you can show perhaps the organizational, you know, maybe you don't have an organizational, an org chart as it were, but you can say, you know, this is the person who's responsible for these tasks to make sure that the studio is run this way and that make sure that clients are serviced well and taken care of. And, you know, and you have all that documented, then it, it makes it a much more seamless and more appealing, um, to the, to the, to the buyer. And SOPs are so important to have anyway, because I mean, outside of selling, 
you need to make sure that your business is able to run without you in case you need to be out of the business unexpectedly, which does happen. So yes, it documents, happens all the time. documentation, processes, procedures, super important. Talk about it with my Thrive group all the time. Yeah, really important. And that's, and that's where someone like yourself and the work that you do becomes so important because I know that you're doing all of those things with your clients already. And so, you know, for me, it's always so wonderful to get referrals from people who have been working with someone like yourself, because all of those things are going to be in place when it's time to go. Yeah. And it's and, critical. And, yeah. And, 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 and having those KPIs and being able to quickly assess valuations and so on. And maybe we could talk a little bit about that because I think that's a big part of, you know, what does it make sense to sell? That question is, is, you know, what, what is, what is a studio worth and how do you value it? And I have to say in my experience, it's a wide range and it, it's not necessarily, you know, this formula of any sort. It, it often depends on finding the right buyer at the right time um, or not, sadly as well. <laughs> is that your experience also? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. The harsh truth is that your, your business is worth what someone's willing to pay for it. Or it's worth what it's worth to you to keep it. And, and so, you know, we can, I can throw all the formulas at you and, and tell you what I'm seeing, but, you know, there is a wide range for that reason. It's, it's nothing like the housing market where there's so much data that it's really easy to pinpoint value. Um, but people always want to know what's my business worth. And so let's talk about it. So, the most common valuation method that I use is, is actually very straightforward and you can do this on your own. It's for the most part, I'm going to say, start with a, a valuation of three times your EBITDA or your net income. And so, you know, if you have your PL in front of you, look at the number all the way at the bottom, multiply it by three. And you've got a pretty good baseline for, for what I think would be the right asking price if we were just going to put it out there. Obviously, huge grains of salt. Um, there are lots of things that can change that valuation. Um, but let's assume first and foremost that you're not running any personal expenses through your business. So you're not paying for your car all of your meals, your travel, your continuing education, because all of those things are, are income, really. And so when I look at those things, if I see them on your p and I'm going to add them back because that's money that you're making for yourself. You're just choosing to write it off as a business expense because you can, and that's being a smart, small business owner, and that's, we all do it. But when it comes time to sell, that stuff can come back to bite you. And so that's part of the work years in advance is saying, okay, well, maybe for this last year, I'm not going to write any of that stuff off so that the profit on my tax return is as high as humanly possible, because that's going to be the foundation of my selling price. And I'm going to get three times the difference in those numbers. If you're running an, an extra 20 grand a year through your business as continue education, travel meals, that sort of thing, things that are benefits that you're choosing to take and run through your business. When it comes to selling your business, that could cost you 60,000 evaluation. 
A hundred percent. Right. It's a lot. It's, that's a That's a lot. Yeah, it is. It's a ton. And, it, and it's worth paying the taxes on that 20,000 mm. to get the 60. Right. 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 And so there's a lot of different words that people use to, to, to find this term. I use seller's discretionary earnings, um, which to me is the net income plus any payroll that the owner pays themselves plus those expenses that they run through. Other people might call it owner's benefit or um, those are usually the main ones. When you get into more organized books, like more corporate structure, those personal expenses won't be on there. And and that's where they use EBITDA, which is not to lose anyone with Takes me back stuff, to uh, earnings before. <laughs> <laughs> I take you back tax. to my finance. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Interest tax, depreciation, and amortization. That's right. And that's all we'll say about that. And that's all we need to say about <laughs> EBITDA. Yes. Takes me back to a, a world long ago when I worked in finance. So yes, <laughs> with a lot of conversations. Okay. So that's an amazingly helpful um, piece of information and really helpful to think about, especially when it comes to planning ahead and thinking about some of those costs that might be running through our business and and just thinking about, you know, generally about what the impact of doing that may have long-term on that valuation. Um, so that's really helpful. Um, so I, I wanted to, I have a quick question I wanted to kind of go back to. So uh, you met one of the other things you said was to do was to, you know, perhaps find some, some potential buyers um, and, you know, plant those seeds, which is a great piece of advice. I love that. Um, so how does it work if you find that person? Should they still come to a broker? I'd imagine yes, but I imagine there's also a lot of private sales that happen. So perhaps you could talk to a little bit about that kind of process if you already have sort of a buyer and pot- potentially perhaps they're a teacher in the studio or a friend or a client that that knows the studio well. Sure. So I managed to buy our studio and sell our studio without a broker. Um, so I can speak in detail about that. Um, granted, I had some of these skills right. going into it, but <laughs> yeah. um, the the main thing is you'll you'll need your advisors, your CPA, and and an attorney to to draft the purchase agreement. Um, the reason that I would recommend to to use a broker anyway, and, and brokers generally take ten percent, and so that's. I know that's another question that people always have, um, but it's it's a success fee. It only happens if you successfully sell the studio. And so, you know, you can spend a lot of money on an attorney on a private deal and have it not happen and be out a bunch of money and not sell your studio. The other issue that that really is the one that comes up the most is that it's, as I mentioned, an incredibly difficult emotional process. And it's a very different process for the buyer and the seller. Buyers get scared. They get cold feet. Sellers get scared. They get cold feet. But it's different and it happens in different ways. And if you're close friends or professional colleagues with the person that you're negotiating with, there's a really great chance that just going through this process will ruin that relationship. It's very difficult to sell your baby to someone else and have them critique it and and criticize it and criticize your numbers or criticize a staff member 
or want to change something like all of those strike at the heart of sellers. And it's, that's where me being the, the sounding board and the sponge to absorb all the emotional parts of the conversation and then communicate what needs to be communicated is so valuable because yes, it costs you 10%, but you're also getting 90%. And more often than not, when people engage in these conversations on their own, they fall apart and the relationship gets ruined. And it's just, I've had so many people, so many people call me and say, yep, I tried on my own, didn't work out, lost my best teacher, and now I'm calling you. And it's just, you know, it is what it is. So I'd imagine it's incredibly helpful to have someone who's been through it multiple times as you have and sits in the middle and you've seen it all and you you know how to manage that communication between the buyer and the seller. And, and it is it is so incredibly personal when you have built a business from scratch and you have built a team and you have brought on every single one of those clients. Um, you're really opening up your whole business to analysis from someone else who doesn't know your business as well, which can feel really, and it, it brings up all sorts of feelings. You know, I, I don't think, I think it would be very hard for anyone to go through that and not have any sort of reaction <laughs> to, to that process, you know? Yeah, so, it's, it's so personal. I mean, it really is. It's, it's your baby. You right? know, and, and the buyer is looking for, always looking for a deal, right? They want to make sure they're getting value for their money that they're parting with also. And so there is always going to be this sort of, you know, um, they're going to be, you're going to, you're going to be at sort of opposing ends and, it, and it's I imagine very helpful to have someone who can bring people together and bring the right terms and the right parts of the communication and share those more constructive, um, pieces of feedback to make sure that things move in the mutual right direction. Absolutely. And this is one I always like to differentiate, like the role of a broker versus an attorney, for example. I'm not on anybody's side. And so I'm not going to bat to protect one side versus the other. I'm there to be an advisor to both sides to share what in my experience is normal, what in my experience is fair, and then let each side make the decision about how they want to proceed. And so sometimes that might mean checking the seller because they're being unreasonable about something. And so a lot of times I'm the first person to knock the seller off their pedestal and say, I'm sorry, I don't think your business is worth a million dollars. I would only be comfortable lifting, listing it for 500 or something like that. And here's why. And so I'm already doing that work to try and get their expectations in line with what is reasonable. Um, and so that's really the role that I play as a broker is to present what I believe to be the options, give advice on what I think is normal and fair, and then let each side make the decision for themselves and communicate that decision to the other party. Yeah. It's it really incredibly helpful to have you take us through this whole process. Really, really helpful. Thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and, and share so much, so many pieces of information that were, you know, we're, we're, we're all in the dark about before now. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, it's, it's a pleasure. Can I stick a shameless plug in for, for following me on social media? 
Oh, please. What? Tell us everything. Where can people find you if they have questions for you about this and get to know you and ask you all sorts of questions about your, your trip to London? <laughs> it's, yeah. So it's, I'm very excited. I'm going to London tonight um, for Mind Body University in London. And then I'll be there for a week. And then I'm flying straight to New York to go to Boutique Fitness Solutions, the summit in New York um, to present on this topic at both. Um, it's the longest I've ever left my wife and kids. I'm a little nervous, but I'm really excited. Um, but you can find me at Boutique Fitness Broker. Um, I just created this brand this year, so it's all still relatively fresh and new, but I'm doing my best to learn how to use Instagram correctly. And uh, my website is boutiquefitnessbroker.com. Please do reach out. Um, I always like to tell people like I'm not pushy. I'm not a cheesy sales guy. I love this industry. I love helping owners in this industry. You know, I've been a buyer. I've been a seller. I want to support both people in, in their journey into whatever is their next chapter. And so I'm here to help. And um, I would love it if you reached out. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I have to say, you know, I've sent a couple of my Thrive members your way, Mitch, and they have. it's been an incredibly uh, helpful conversation to know you know, some of the things you shared with us today, but to know sort of how it may apply to their business. And so, yeah, if you, I think if anyone who is just thinking about this process and thinking about what it might look like and um, just, yeah, reach out to Mitch, I will add all of the links and all of the places you can find Mitch in the show notes. So you can go there to, um, to take a look at those um, for sure. And I think uh, it would be great to have you come back sometime soon and take us through some of the scenarios you've seen and some of the examples, because I could, and we could talk about this for hours <laughs> oh i've got stories <laughs> i bet i bet <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us it's my pleasure have a wonderful rest of the day thank you all thank you if you have loved what you've heard today i'd be really appreciative if you could take a quick minute and go to wherever you're listening to this and rate and review this podcast it would mean a ton to me and would help to get this podcast out into our amazing community so that more teachers and business owners just like you can feel encouraged and supported on their journey in our industry. Did you love this episode and want more? Head to spring3.com and check out my free resources that will help you run a profitable and fulfilling studio business. And before you go, one last reminder, there is no one way to do what you do, only your way. So whatever it is that you want to do, create or offer, you've got this. Thanks again for joining me today and have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye.